10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. Financial inclusion for women, a conversation with the Grasa Michelle Trust's programs officer in Ms. Newam Fugeng. Ma'am, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Good evening, Songezo, and a very good evening to your listeners as well. The importance of women in the economy, the importance of women in society, the importance of women at home, and why their importance in all of this economically they need to be sufficiently empowered to be able to make decisions that matter. Predicate for us then, please, what financial inclusion for women in the context of Grasa Michelle Trust means? Um, in the context of Grasa Michelle, Grasa Michelle Trust works closely with Finmark Trust because of their shared interest in the financial inclusion landscape. Uh, this is anchored on a number of engagements and initiatives from our respective practical experiences, and we leverage off each other's expertise and programming, with Finmark Trust providing key research, data, and evidence that informs policymakers as well as partners on key areas for advocacy. Uh, GMT basically advocates for amplifying women's movements by harnessing their contributions to the economic, social, and political development of Africa. Now, all of that is important to understand because, as with many things, COVID has really shown the fissures in South Africa's fabric, be it politically and the governance thereof, be it in terms of the structure and construct of our economic system and who really is buffered by the current framework of our economy and who really is holding on for dear life on a threadbare. And as a result, it has an impact in one's social standing. Let's talk specific now in terms of what the GMT is really advocating for when it speaks about women empowerment vis-a-vis the economy. Okay. Um, As a rapid response to the COVID pandemic from April, uh, GMT has been implementing its Elysee campaign, which is basically centered around amplifying the voices and perspectives of women in order to contribute to shaping the policy responses to the pandemic. And a cross-cutting theme emerging from the campaign activities thus far is that COVID has significantly aggravated the existing vulnerabilities and structural inequalities, and the impact is disproportionately affecting women and girls in relation to their livelihoods as well as their limited access to economic relief in the informal economy. Uh, Things such as movement restrictions and requirements for essential services, as well as businesses to operate during lockdown periods has meant that women in the informal sector particularly are unable to meet the documentation or other registration requirements to access permits to operate. Uh, So for example, through our Ugandan African Women in Agribusiness Network. Uh, What we've found is that the viability of the agricultural enterprises is at risk with anticipated losses in income as well as production activities not taking place during these lockdown periods. 
even in instances where production was taking place, it was limited due to closures of markets. Uh, this is significant because 50% of the agricultural activity on the continent alone is performed by women in smallholder farming who produce around 60 to 70% of the food in sub-Saharan Africa. So these movement restrictions have been barriers to production as well as women's enterprises that work as cooperatives, not fully functioning at, capa- at full capacity. So uh, I think without economic relief, including tax relief, as well as support to digitize, uh, the continued closure of state and regional borders will result in some of these SMEs not making it through 2020. So there's definitely an urgent need for financial services providers to support uh, digitization by designing better products that consider production cycles of different value chains and that allow to accommodate the vulnerability of irregular mm-hmm. incomes that exist particularly you, in the context of women. You, I mean, women, of course, form 50% of the informal trade, if not more, I, I would suspect it's more. And, and then you mentioned two terms, borders and digitization. And the more the borders don't allow for the free movement of people and goods and their respective services, the more that can be countenanced, if you will, by digitization. Seeing that mainly women in Africa work in the traditional spaces of agriculture and manufacturing and to that extent trade, how can these economic activities, primary economic activities, through digitization, take away, if you like, that at this point is an impediment, borders? Because currently South Africa in the region and the region of Africa at large doesn't quite enjoy the seamless movement of goods and services as we see in the EU. That acts as an impediment for trade and growth. Now, how can we use women in agriculture, manufacturing and trade through digitization to at least change this narrative? I think uh, there's windows of opportunities to accelerate that movement through um, for example, the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. Um, the scale of that trade agreement has a potential impact on uh, being a key driver for economic advancement, for women's economic advancement. If we take a look at the economic modeling projections from the Economic Commission for Africa, it highlights that women will benefit from improvements to the challenges that you've said or face as informal cross-border traders because cross-border trading is significant mainly because in Africa, 85% of the employment is within the informal economy sector and women make up around 70, 70% of informal cross-border traders on the continent. So through the trade agreement reductions of tariffs, women cross-border traders will be able to affordably trade through formal channels with maybe simplified customs clearing procedures as well as reduced import duties. So I think the aggregate effect of the trade agreement should it be effectively and efficiently implemented or contribute to the achievement of financial inclusion of women in that financial inclusion draws a connection between economic growth and poverty alleviation as well as enables individuals to participate in the market economy, subsequently trading. 
Well, you mentioned the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement, and this may, of course, if implemented properly, play a pivotal role in the promotion of financial inclusion for all, but for women in particular. But of course, it is moving at a very snail's pace. I mean, 10 or so years ago, we were talking about the TFTA, the Tripartite Free Trade Agreement. Very little has become of that. I just wonder if whether or not the the Continental Free Trade Agreement might not suffer the same fate as many multilateral institutions of Africa suffer. Promise much in the beginning and sort of speak nicely at a political level, but when it's time to build the infrastructure to effect, if you like, those documents upon which such structures are premised, then things tend to move very, very slowly. Case in point, ACEFTA. I think uh, I, I agree with you. There's definitely been a trend where we have all these great policy documents and trade agreements and very little is implemented. And there's definitely a lot of regu- regulatory and institutional work that needs to be done to create an eco- ecosystem that is more conducive. And I think at the government level, creating a, a regulatory framework adapted to the needs of users and operators is in reference to financial inclusion, while also supporting the development of innovative payment technologies by investing more in research and development as well as the ICT sector. But I I also think that the onus to change this landscape doesn't solely depend on government. We need to Mm. have collective action geared towards changing this landscape. So, uh, for example, within the financial services sector, we could advocate for these institutions to better understand the needs and characteristics of women, to design better product offerings that consider production cycles of different value chains and that allow to accommodate for the vulnerability of irregular incomes. Being a pan-African organization, you, of course, would encounter the many diverse African cultures and systems, which systems then often play out in the formal spaces, formal space, in this case, the economic formal space. How much of those traditional and inherent ways within the multiplicity of African communities in which your work operates do you find that these cultures, good for what they are worth, but in many respects, and I'm asking as an open question, play a role in the continued exclusion? I mean, in your webinar last night, one of the presenters noted that 23 million women in the SADC region alone were financially excluded. How much of that pays itself or, or is owed to the fact that there are just some embedded cultures that don't allow women to do certain things? Yes, that is, it's, it's very true and it significantly contributes as well as to women's relationship with financial services. So I think our approach as a pan-African institution is not to have um, a blanket approach. It has to be a case-by-case sort of solution to some of these problems because if you look at the interface between women and financial services, and that relationship, it's multi-layered and things around accessibility is one of the many dominant trends that exist. But because some of the countries that we do work in are, are still very patriarchal, you find that women don't have knowledge 
or financial literacy and are not familiar with banking and financial terminology. And this trend emanates from women and girls not typically having access to equal education. And the reasons can range from supply-side constraints such as inadequate sanitation facilities in schools to negative social norms favoring boys' uh, education when a family has limited resources. So it's still at the core of our mandate to say we're advocating for the social and economic advancement of women. And in doing that, we have to approach every case based on its own merit and not apply a blanket approach. Let's speak about the South African marriage. Right now, the majority of South African learners are not at school. And those who do ac- who do have access to schooling are very much those who are in the upper classes who've got access, of course, to online learning facilitated by the means that they have. But for the majority of South African learners, not only are they not at school, but they probably do not have a meal because for a lot of them, that school feeding scheme compensated for their lack. Right now, everything that you hear about South Africa and COVID has just been out of the fire into the frying pan. We're simply not doing well. Ultimately, that affects the future, particularly the girl child. So all that you have been working towards up until COVID-19, to a large extent, is now being undone by the ineptitude of government. Your thoughts, final question. Um, I think it speaks to government's ability to plan ahead, foresight and a strategic approach to foresight planning and risk management because it makes no sense why there's still disparities between children that are in quote-unquote models in schools and your township schools. So I definitely think that it does speak to government's lack of strategic thinking and being able to have adequate risk management responses in this regard. Financial inclusion draws a connection between economic growth and poverty alleviation. And where there is a disconnection and it affects women at large, you can be very sure that very little economic growth and poverty alleviation in that society will take place. It is thus an incumbent responsibility on all to include women in financial aspects of any given society. Ms. Neum Fogeng, Program Officer at the Grasa Michelle Trust. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.